it's time for the second episode of Catching Foxes Ruins the Movies. The Road to Infinity War, Phase 2. We grossed $5.2 billion worldwide, surpassing Phase 1 films. Oh man! If I could call, if I could like, um, give any, if if I could give, if I could give phase two a catchphrase, it would be not too bad the second time around. <laughs> Mine would be, yeah, it's pretty, yeah, yeah, it's not bad. There is a lot here. There is what I consider to be the absolute best of all the Marvel movies, and what I consider to be. Probably the worst of all the Marvel movies, all contained within uh, Phase 2. So I'm just going to run through them real quick. The films are Iron Man 3, Thor The Dark World, which is the second one, Captain America The Winter Soldier, which is the second one, Guardians of the Galaxy, Avengers Age of Ultron, and, weirdly enough, Ant-Man. I know, and and it's like, and don't forget me, I'm Ant-Man. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. You know, and uh, so just just in case anyone who does not know what we are doing here, we're going to go through all of the phase all of the phase two movies, talk about all of the broader like themes of those films. Not we are not going to rehash all of the plots. We will go through each one, talk about the important the important like, themes, and then we'll discuss the like big the big the big themes of phase two on the road to in, to Infinity War being released on April twenty seventh. Infinity War, man, how excited are you? Uh, after going through these films and doing and like kind of completing my outline, very excited. I very am, excited. I am ten times more excited after completing phase one and then going. I was about halfway through phase two and I was like, "Oh hell yeah, this is nice! I can't wait! I can't wait!" <laughs> mm-hmm. It's um, it's weird. I find that I get more pumped for the next for the next for the next Avengers film, Infinity War. Um. I find I get more pumped when I think about the other films as opposed to when I start to anticipate what 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 it's going to be about. If that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. So it's more fun the to look at the crazy thing is the crazy thing is all of Phase One and all of Phase Two and all of Phase Three ends with Infinity Infinity Wars One and Two. Like this has been the trajectory at, since the end of the first Avengers movie. Mm-hmm. This is this is the end of the line, my friend. Everything else, a- everything else after this is just a bunch of made-up stuff. It's all new. <laughs> Who are they going to get? Mm. Thanos, the baddest guy in the universe. What's after that? Shmanos? Uh, I think it's going to go to, like, Galactus. Or actually, you know, yeah, I have a bunch of thoughts. That's what it could be. Mm. Okay, Scroll. well, we'll get onto that so, later, yeah. later, yeah. later. So what's so, okay, so let's just, um, you just want to do this, the, like, same formula as we did with Phase 1? Hells yeah. I will okay. like to inform our audience that there is no Google spreadsheet for this one. No Google no. Doc. Is there? Yeah. Wait, what? I shared it with you. Uh, mm. uh, I mean, no. Like, I totally have reviewed it. There it is. So, Luke, how are things? <laughs> good. <laughs> very, very good. Very, very good, man. It's been, a, it's been, it's crazy busy, but I am so pumped just to talk about this, so. Me too. Me too. Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, you lead it, baby. So what's your favorite movie from Phase? I mean, I know. I think everyone else knows, but just really quick. Yeah. It's totally Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Yeah. Loved it, loved it, loved it. 
I think um, I think mine has to be Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm. I just love that movie. I love the soundtrack. I love the actors. I love everything about it. But I do enjoy. I really like all these. I mean, I like kind of like all these films, to be honest, honest with you, a lot more than I did. Yeah. Yeah. Going back through it. That's the funny thing, because I remember seeing Iron Man 3 and being like uh, disappointed. I still liked it, but I was disappointed. All these movies. I think the worst one, though. What do, what do you think the worst one is? Um, okay. It's Thor the Dark World, but I will add this. Thor the Dark World is the is a beautiful movie. I think it's the most it's the most it's the most beautiful film in the MCU right now. It is gorgeous. What do you mean? In terms of just the tone and the colors, like the visual tone, like the scene where Thor's mom dies when they have her funeral is probably the prettiest scene, one of the most moving scenes in the MCU. It is just beautiful. Mm, okay. Okay. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. I think in terms of visuals, probably phase three movie does out outdoes it, which would be uh, Doctor Strange, just of the mind bending visuals. It that is they cool. Did. Yeah. But, yeah. Okay. Okay. So uh, wh- why was... Um, so for you, Guardians of the Galaxy was your favorite because of the music, because of the characters. The mm-hmm. only thing that they're very close, the reason why I wouldn't say Guardians of the Galaxy is, number one, I thought Captain America's plot was 10,000 times better, the mm-hmm. Winter Soldier. Mm-hmm. And I think the Guardians of the Galaxy's plot was, like, super weird and not really good. It's like, okay, here's Ronan the Accuser, and he's some sort of quasi-immortal dude uh, they don't really explain it. Religious fanatic, zealot, whatever, from the Kree Empire. And he is going to get an orb. And in giving the orb, which he doesn't know it's a, an infinity stone at the time, Thanos is going to destroy a planet for him. And then he finds out it's infinity stone, so he's going to go destroy the planet himself. And then it ends with, like, a dance-off. Like, the it ending, sure does. The ending, I think... Like, I remember being in the movie theater and being, like, laughing and being like, but seriously, this is a shitty way to end this movie. <laughs> and today, today, I totally forgot about Guardians of the Galaxy as a part of Phase 2. And so we watched it as one un, uh, untimely born, we, me and Shannon and the children, because I'm exposing them to the hyperviolence <laughs> of the comic world. Um, we watched it, and the ending, we watched first half yesterday and second half today. And I'm watching it, and I'm like, huh. This still doesn't satisfy. Like, really, like a guy who's about to smash a hammer into his ancient empire's enemy and destroy the entire world just goes, Huh? What are you doing? I know. But how else are you going to end that film? Come on, how else? What are you doing? I'm distracting you, you big turd blossom. There's a thousand other ways. Captain America the Winter Soldier ends with, like, breaking shield in half and with with what's his name robert rever being like hydra you know buildings falling down mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. ships falling from the sky and and captain america willing to die for bucky and let him kill him because so he want you know that's a beautiful ending sure is i don't know Man. why I'm, i feel like i'm talking like a crazy person right now it's a dance off you big dumb purple <laughs> yeah, it's a dance off um gamora go Okay, subtle. To bring it right back. <laughs> I mean, it's funny, and I laughed, but... Okay, so what no, do you think? What, what views have changed for you about the movie? The um, Ant-Man, not as terrible as I remembered being. 
I feel like the this time around that's going to be a theme for us. Like, yeah, that's why I mean, phase two it, is not yeah. as bad the second time. Yeah, like when I first saw it, I was like a little disappointed because I think phase one did a really good job establishing characters and building them, and then phase two, you're just like, like when I first experienced it. Iron Man 3 was kind of a letdown because the Mandarin was such a badass in the comic Mm -hmm. books. And then, I mean, he is so prominent in the trailers. And then when you find out he's this coked up British actor, (laughs) you're like, uh, I don't know. There was so much that was disappointing. But now knowing it and then rewatching it, I was like, oh, this is actually this is actually pretty cool. I like this. Mm-hmm. I can mm-hmm. still hear Ben Kingsley's voice. You'll never see me coming. Like I love that. that. Was so it was actually kind of like it was creepy, man. Yeah, he did a really good job as mm-hmm. faux terrorist, the Mandarin. You know who I am. You don't know where I am, and you'll never see me coming. Uh, agree. Yeah. So agree. I did. I I liked all. I even liked Thor: The Dark World more than. When I first saw it, I liked them yeah, all. It's not that bad. It's not great. The ending sucks. The ending, mm-hmm. like with the with the, the the phases and they're zipping and zapping into all the different worlds because they have yeah, yeah. these oh, yeah. they have yeah. these yeah. poles that look like golf flags with a water bottle screwed onto it, like mm-hmm. and magically by pushing a couple buttons, they're like. I mean, I understand it's a comic book movie, but even I have my standards. <laughs> Dang well, it! And it's, and it's weird too because I think one of the hard things I can remember going to see iron man three and the whole time just having this thought of well this is where the avengers would come in you know and just i think that's one of the things that as a film it had going against it was in movies things have to make some like you can get away with a lot in a comic book like a lot (laughs) like no one ever really dying um in film you can't really do that someone has to die marvel yeah, it comes to a point where you it's just you can't really you can't really suspend your disbelief to keep it going. Yeah. Um, but then I think with the benefit of like hindsight and seeing how these characters are all how these films serve the characters and how they are growing, it's much easier to just kinda go, Okay, so this is Iron Man's story. This is his journey right now. Yeah. Because they're all going some someplace. So um what do you think is important about these? Like, what do you think is important about Phase Two? Well, I mean, I've, just in terms of the pop cultural, the pop, the pop culture landscape. What's in, or just within, not you know, not within the overall like themes, but just like what's kind of the big takeaway from these films? Well, I think one of the big things is the dexterity of the comic book genre movie. So you have something like. Um, Iron Man 3 talking about terrorism. You have Captain America talking about like these big themes and it's more of a it's like a political thriller that's been adapted to the genre. You have Guardians of the Galaxy which is like a, a space opera adapted to this. Um you know, you, so it shows the even though it's in the end men in tight clothing punching things. Damn straight. <laughs> even though it which I saying that out loud I realized it's just pro wrestling, <laughs> but what? with plot. Uh, I think it shows the dexterity. <laughs> but with Robert Daddy Jr. <laughs> it shows the dexterity of, of the uh, comic book movies filtering throughout, you know, kind of all these different, touching upon the different genres of pop culture. Mm-hmm. I would agree. I would agree. It's when, I think really, I think the cool part of this is, is that this is when it kind of proved that the MCU was the real deal. Because I think especially, I think it's probably the most important film in all these in terms of that was guardians of the galaxy 
because it was such a like niche comic book fran- franchise. And to just if that film was bad, I think the MCU would have could have quickly it just could have become like like a cute thing that people liked. Because I don't know if you like, remember this or not, but it was a huge pop. It was a big like it was a big film within the cultural within the cultural like, zeitgeist at that time, and I think it made it goes oh like what they're doing in here is kind of cool because they're going to take these they're going to take this one thing that we don't really know anything about, and it's going to be really cool unlike any of the other films that they've done, and it really um, gave it gave the expanded M it gave the expanded like universe some weight that I don't know was really there before because they were you know in the past having to rely on their most like famous heroes and they show that they can make a really great, interesting, fun, uh, fun, like and, uh, a great, interesting and fun movie that was not built on like eight years of, of history. Yeah. That's really the big thing because Ant-Man, <laughs> right? Like mm-hmm. a lot of people don't know Ant-Man, right? And the Mandarin and, um, Oh, and what what is the villain? The, the actual villain in Iron Man three? Oh, God. what is the uh, name of the? Down. See, no, I don't care about the guy. I care about the thing. Advanced well, yeah, idea that, mechanics. That's what, that's what it is. Advanced idea mechanics. Yeah. He uh, like those are big names, but only if you know Iron Man. And Iron Man wasn't as popular in the comic books as some of the others. And so I think one of the things that it did was uh, just kind of like what you're saying. It proved that they could take marginal characters and make them big names. Because mm-hmm. of the skill of the studio. And that's awesome. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. All right, uh, let's dive into the themes for all of these films. The first film of Phase 2 is Iron Man 3. Here's my here's my big take on, on Iron Man 3. This film, it's really about Tony... It's about Iron Man becoming Tony Stark. Mm. Where in the past two films, they were really... I thought they were more about Tony Stark having to become Iron Man and having to own that and understand what that is and how he could be a thing that is like that's like bigger than himself. Iron Man 3 is about Tony Stark becoming a hero himself because he spends the bulk of the film actually as as Tony Stark and about a quarter of the way through the film he's basically stripped of all of his Iron Man-ness besides his heart little thing. Yeah, and keep in mind the movie spends a uh, or one of the themes of it is him adopting or him struggling with his PTSD after shoving a nuke into uh, the wormhole in New York. Right. So, mm-hmm. so much of I of phase two is post battle of New York. Right. And so and I don't think any of them actually does it as good as Iron Man three, which was the most immediate movie after the Avengers mm-hmm. and his constant struggling with the PTSD and him having these panic attacks periodically. And, um, but the only way that he could kind of get through it is if, you know, he calms himself down, but then focuses on the mission, even though he can't be Iron Man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the interesting thing is it kind of sets up the Avengers because his suits are largely autonomous at this point. One of the ways that he battles the big baddie guys at the end of the movie is by flinging all of his suits of armor at them to fight them somewhat auto- mostly autonomously like letting Jarvis do the job and um and that obviously foreshadows you know Ultron taking over all the all the armors making little bots yeah i th- i do think if there's one underlying uh part through not not all of these films but it is kind of there it's it's there a bit with captain with um 
Neutral Soldier as well. It's just this theme of of AI. And can you like what like when does the superhero end? Like when does it end? And like what does it what does it lead to? Uh, at some point in time, Iron Man has to stop being Iron Man and just be Tony Stark. He can't be. He can't do that. You know, for all of his life, he can't bury like he's he's reached his breaking point as as Iron Man, where he can't do it anymore without having some real consequence. Like he is just, I mean, it almost like kills Pepper Potts in that one scene when they are in when they are in bed because he's just so paranoid. I mean, he basically like tells her, "I am falling apart. Like this is just killing me." Which was a super great scene, if if you mm-hmm. remember where he is. You know, he, she is frustrated with him and all these things, and he's like, "I'm." And the only thing left for him to do is to drop the facade and just say, like, I'm, I'm, I've lost it. I've completely yeah. lost it. And I actually, I resonated with that. I thought that was an excellent scene, and it was really well done um, in the movie. Hey, I admit it. My fault. Sorry. I'm a piping hot mess. It's been going on for a while. I haven't said anything. Nothing's been the same since New York. Well, and that's one of the great things about all of the um, M's, all of the MCU films is there are consequences to everything, like everything. And um, one thing, one thing that I read that was incredibly interesting from wegotthiscovered.com. I'm put a link on here, so if you can put it in the show notes, but it's not, it's, it's I'm not a big deal. Um, is that what starts to happen is. I think he has to start to ask himself that are we really the same thing because or is Iron Man a projection that I'm giving to the rest of the world which if there's one thing we see in all and all of the villains within the Iron Man films is they are somehow they are like mirror held up to Tony and 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 Iron Man 3 the main guy he has a villain that is a like projection which is the it's the mandarin the like actual villain is so willing to be behind the curtains per se while the man while the mandarin like has like a face that the world sees they don't know that it's you know like actually him and i think what this guy what he proposes in this article is that in this film tony stark has to even if, and it really comes it, you know really happens at the end where he there's all these other iron men and he's not having to be any of them yeah but they're all him and he has to kind of come to terms with that a little bit and really like how can and I think in the in the end of the film he really comes to terms with that by having to just destroy all of them and he walks away from Iron Man for all intents and purposes. And he basically says Tony like Iron Man is now Tony Stark is what happens is he owns that projection. It's now just he and he and he and he does it by having to basically he can be heroic just being he can be Iron Man without the suits now. And you think he steps away from all of that. Yeah. Now, here's the question. Do you think he steps away? Doesn't he literally say to Pepper, who is now a modified superhero person, that he's done being Iron Man and he blows up all of his mm-hmm. suits and he's officially mm-hmm. done? And then it's like, but here comes the Avengers and you're back. Well, it's very interesting because at the end of Iron Man, you know how at the end of all of the movies, it's like it'll say... Captain America will be back in the Avengers yeah. or it says in this film, it's the only one that uses his real name where it says Tony Stark will be back. Huh? I didn't notice that. Mm-hmm. That's a really, I think it's the only film that has that where it, it changes. 
Interesting. So, mm-hmm. Hmm. Luke, this is why I love you. <laughs> and so I, I, um, I want to come back to that idea with Age of Ultron because it's because it's there. I think it's very easy to be like, and it didn't matter. See, now he's back, but it's not at all. Like it's there's a reason why. And there are consequences to that as well. I like how you said in the Marvel Cinematic Universe is a consequence to everything except whether or not characters die because they never die. <laughs> Looking at you, Agent Coulson. Yeah. Although I think, I think the, sh- I don't think the TV shows are ever really gonna be in any of the films. So I think, I almost think you have to treat them as two separate things. I know there's a little bit of overlap here and there. Um, but and it's more the consequences of the films are it's the consequences of the movies that are felt in the TV shows, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah but I don't. So think I remember I hadn't that. seen I hadn't seen Thor: The Dark World, and uh, I had I hadn't seen an opening weekend, and then there was like a week or maybe two weeks later, there was I was watching um, the TV show uh, Agents of Shield, and. <laughs> They were like, well, ever since Thor stopped, it was like the opening scene of the new season or new half of the season was at the wreckage of Cambridge or wherever the hell they were for that last battle scene. Oh, they're in Greenwich or uh, Greenwich. Um, somewhere in England. In England. London. Yeah. Somewhere Shut in, the, somewhere in uh, Her Majesty's Protectorate. And there was. Okay. Yes. And there was a. Um, it, but the scene started with like them and the wreckage and they started talking about it. I'm like. Holy crap, are you kidding me? Like, you just ruined the end of the movie. Like, not really, but kind of, you know? So, eh. Yeah. Yeah. I think it'd be too much for Marvel to ask people. Like, I mean, it's like, if you haven't seen any of the Marvel movies and you started with Black Panther, you're totally fine to enjoy Black Panther. You don't need the rest. Mm-hmm. But, but I think for any of the tentpole films now, you kind of have. Well, yeah. for most of Phase 2, you'd kind of be okay. But I think once Phase 3 hits, it's they're like, yeah, we assume that you're on board. Yeah. So, <laughs> buckle up. We don't want. We won't want any of you people who haven't been slavishly watching our shows. Said <laughs> we're worth thirty billion dollars. Um, okay. Anything else on Iron Man three? Nope. That's it. That's it for cool. me. Thor: The Dark World. So here's what I have: family drama! Ex- exclamation point. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. More Otis and fun. Yeah. All it is is the constant. The, the constant fact that Loki is such a good character that he will never go away. <laughs> well, and here's, but he, and so here's the real thing that I think is going on here. Although I think this is a lot of retconning, but I, I but so I'm gonna, but it's fine. It does, it does work. Is these are really about Odin screwing up and having to cover his tracks? Do you? There's a part here that I think is very interesting when Thor brings Jane Foster back because she's got uh, the like dark ether. Yeah, and and her he like wants her out. He doesn't give two craps about her. He just yeah. wants her gone. She's ill. She is mortal. Illness is their defining trait. I brought her here because we can help her. She does not belong here in Asgard any more than a goat belongs at a banquet table. And because I think it's because he realizes like, oh, I don't want to deal with these consequences. I don't care. Like, you know, he wants to just quietly erase all of his problems and move on. He didn't can't, he, he didn't he want her gone and like as far away from the dark elves as possible wasn't that the whole point so that it was one of these like heroically tough decisions because it's like if he gets a hold of you he gets a hold of the dark the the ether and blah blah well, blah that's there but I don't, but he doesn't allow her to at least stay for a bit until he realizes that she has the ether within her 
because remember he says they have their only medicine people they're called doctors or or, or something like yeah. that yeah that's and true. he's like you kind of see his arrogance come out that you really don't see in a lot of other films a lot of other moments but it's there. He's just so repulsed that a person from Earth is in Asgard. Yeah, that's and true. And like Thor's kind of like WTF, man. Like she needs help. She can't be touched without people just ex- just exploding and dying. <laughs> Remember that whole thing in the first movie where you sent me to Earth to learn compassion and get rid of my cruelty? Guess what you're doing? So would exactly. you say that Thor: The Dark World did a good job setting up the the hidden twistedness of Odin, Allfather? I, yeah, I, because it's there. You, if, if you really go through all of the films, one of the most common themes is that they're having to fix his his, his, his mistakes and how he tried to cover them up or coming to light. And they are, they are reaping what he has sowed. Gotcha. Okay, so, I like that. I think, okay. um, one other kind of key part about this, I think this is kind of interesting, is how you handle um, how you handle grief because both thor like loki i love how loki was so destroyed after his mother's death yeah i mean i lo- i thought that was just great and both him and like thor have the same attitude is they want to do the right thing they want to like they want to bring the person who i don't want to know if they want to see like vengeance yeah as much as they want to seek justice they want to stop them except for like odin he just gets really prideful to the point to where he tries to like kill his sons from escaping. He's so distraught with with grief. You know, it is interesting. Loki's character is entirely believable for me because uh, I know a guy who is like Loki and his family. Follow me on this. He is struggling with alcoholism right right now, and he kind of hates his father. This is a real life person that I know, a friend of mine. Um, hates his father, but the moment he sees suffering in his mom, he will like, you know, this tough as nails guy will like literally just in front of anyone, just start crying and sympathize with her. And it's this total, like she owns his heart, even though his head is all screwed up and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And, uh, when I was watching this movie and Loki is, using his illusions and he's in the prison and Thor comes up to him and is like, enough of your, enough of your illusions. You got to admit that was pretty good. Um, he I was, and he, and he, you see that he's like destroyed his furniture. He looks all like distraught and haggard and Thor gives him the option to go and, you know, bring out vengeance or whatever. Like at, literally at that moment, I was thinking of this guy and I was like, Oh my gosh, that's totally like this dude. And it really is like the juxtaposition up there. Like, you know, like he he would die for his mom, but he he wants to kill his dad. <laughs> like it's kind of edible in that in yeah, that kind of no, absolutely vein. Yeah, actually, it's very edible. What am I talking about? <laughs> he is, wants yeah. to kill his father, and he loves his mother, and he wants it's, the throne. <laughs> it's actually the textbook definition. Whatever. Um, <laughs> we didn't want to have sex with her. Other than that, <laughs> so One far, to... so no. <laughs> She's Renee Rousseau. She is gorgeous. <laughs> That's very true. Um, hey, what do you yeah. think, real quick, what do you think of Natalie Portman? Uh, I think she, so all reports say she was really checked out of these films and didn't want to be in them. So I think she phoned it in for this one. Really? I wasn't, yeah. Man. What do you think? I just, I don't care about anything. All I need her to do is smile. Well, yeah, there's also that. Her smile, like, does something, like, like essential to me. Like, 
taps right into the essence of who I am, and I'm like, oh, there she is. She's like Jewel to me in the sense that there will always be a special place for her in my heart because of the Phantom Menace. You know, just that she was popular when I was when I was an adolescent boy. Yeah. She'll always have yeah. a little special place for her in my heart, even though she ruined Star Wars single handedly. Just yes, seriously. Um, one thing I just want to say too about Thor: The Dark World. I think this is kind of where Thor, like Loki, there were their relationship. I'm not saying that it's that it is actually healed, but it kind of begins to be healed. They have the great scene where he dies. And we find out. Like Loki does not actually die, but he's pretending to be Odin's son. Because and in the says, Marvel Cinematic Universe, no one dies. No one dies. I know. I, I know. That was kind of, except it gave us him in Thor Ragnarok, which I'm okay with. Um, he was great in that. But there's this, there's this like part at the end where like Thor says, I, I'd rather be a good man than a great king, which I yeah. think is kind of a great arc for him. Like he fully has completed his arc from the first film. Absolutely. And he gets a great compliment from what who he thinks is like Odin's son. We find out is like Ashek Loki, where he says like, you know, I'm proud of you. I mean, he, he says in like X amount of words, like you're doing the right thing. I think it's good that you're doing this. You're my son. I am. I am proud of you. I think that Loki, I think he means that. Yeah, no, I do too. I absolutely do. And, mm-hmm. but I also think for Loki, it's like, hell Yeah you don't want the throne, I'll take it from here. You know, like kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Which is so funny if you think about that movie ending. See, the funny thing is, you almost, there's another way of watching these movies, which is, you watch them as Thor 1, 2, and 3. And then you feel the story arc a little bit more with, because Thor 3, Ragnarok, uh, begins with Thor coming back to Asgard and realizing that immediately that Odin... Mm-hmm. Has been replaced by Loki and Matt Damon <laughs> is so, so great, it's so funny. That part was awesome. But you know mm-hmm. what I mean, like, and so when you see the ending of that and then the beginning of Ragnarok, if you watch them all together, you're like, oh, okay, I get it, right? So Thor's off fighting crime and doing the cool stuff, and then he comes back and he's like, oh gosh, Loki, I thought you were dead. Come on, man, <laughs> I mourned you. Uh, yeah, oh, I'm so good. Uh, anything else on Thor: The Dark World? No, but I do. I like the fact that you have nailed the correct line, which is I'd rather be a good man than a great king because everything about Loki is he wants to be a great king. Hence, Avengers one. He's trying to take over and force, Mm -hmm. you know, rob them of their freedom, do all these things so that he can be the king that he always wants to be that he never will be because he's not Thor. He's not Odin's son. Right. And so because of that, um, he, he gets to the throne through lying, deceit. And yet here is Thor, who is owed the throne, and yet is like, nah, I'd rather be a good man. And so you have Loki as the king in in Odin's place, and yet he's not a good man, you know. So I do, mm-hmm. I do like that line where it's it is both a jab at old Loki because you know a, an unbeknownst jab, but at the same time, uh, yeah, totally, totally a good arc well, for Thor. And I feel like Loki, I think he knows that Thor is right, but he's just going to relish this, this opportunity. Because if you go to the beginning of Thor of, of Thor, uh, you go to the beginning of Ragnarok. I mean, he's like Asgard and the nine realms. Yes. They're in a bad place. Like he, he isn't like, he isn't like, um, 
Tyrion like Lannister, where he finally gets power and he shows how good he actually is. But it doesn't go to hell either. He's just selfish. So he's not scarred from the Lion King where like everyone's starving and it's just all like darkness. <laughs> but he's just too into himself, you know. So, yeah. anyways, that's we're we're, we're, we're getting a little uh, bit ahead of ourselves, but. Dum, dum, dum. Captain America, the Winter Soldier. We're the kids in America. We're the kids in America. <laughs> this is um, my clear winner, my favorite movie. think it's way better than Captain America Civil War. I love this movie. Everything about this movie is spot-on awesome. And yet there are, I think, Avengers. It's funny because... Captain America Winter Soldier to Avengers Age of Ultron to Captain America Civil War is, to me, the most important story arc of Phase 2 and 3. Because it mm. hits, it starts with Captain America and um, rejecting, even though he's an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., he's constantly attacking S.H.I.E.L.D. for its secrecy, for its lies, you know, is this the, you know, basically on the line from the end of Captain America 1 and, and the scene from his first scene in Avengers where he says, you know, um, we won the war. They never told me what we lost. You know, this kind of thing. Well, what we lost was this American dream of freedom and innocence and all that mm-hmm. stuff. And you have Captain America, the Winter Soldier, where he's doing all this stuff and he's realizing the Black Widow has a secret op going on that literally puts men's lives in danger. You know, what is a S.H.I.E.L.D. ship doing out in the middle of nowhere? What is a S.H.I.E.L.D. high-level analyst doing in the middle of this spy ship? And, like, all of these things are just wrong upon wrong upon wrong. And Captain America is pushing back. And then you have the ultimate line where he's talking with um, Nick Fury, and he's like, you know, Nick Fury's is so proud to show him. See, this is the unique thing between Captain America and Nick Fury. Nick Fury sees himself as a consummate realist, right? Like, there are real Mm -hmm. threats. Mm -hmm. We can't just hope the threat goes away. And Captain America has an innocence, but it's not naivete, but realists always think he is. And it's this notion that um, the line that he uses in Avengers, I think is the perfect line. Every time you try to end a war before it begins. Um, what, what is he? Uh, innocents always suffer or whatever. People that, die. Yeah, people yeah, die. People die every time. Innocent people die every time. Yeah, that was such a perfect line for... You, that could have applied to Winter Soldier, to Civil War, or to this because, you know, they're going to aim the guns and start killing people when they come out of their terrorist hidey hole cave or whatever. But he's like, but so there's... So you just judge you're an executioner. Well, no. I mean, but that... Here's the deal is that's what America is doing in drone wars. Like, that's what this is a play on, right? So it's the comic book version mm-hmm. of U.S. drone wars where literally an unmanned plane is flying through the skies in Pakistan or Afghanistan or Yemen, and we are dropping bombs on targets in countries that we don't have a declared war against. And the idea is, well, there's no judge, jury, or executioner... And we're not at war. So why do we have the authority to kill people in a different country? And so the Winter Soldier treats this as this is the wrong way to do it by putting a gun to everyone's head. Right? This is what freedom looks like. No, you're putting a gun to everyone's head. And I like that version. No, I, I, I would agree. I, I, um, what I find to be very interesting about the Winter Soldier is that everything in Captain America's life is just so completely out of whack. His, like, the way he views the world 
and the way that he thought that everyone else viewed the world is out of whack. Because even in the first, um, even if you go back to his like first movie, um, he doesn't completely get along with everyone. But right. the lines between right and wrong, like the, his, like he sees order in things. He goes, "This is good. This is bad. Like this is like ugly. This is beautiful. Like this is heroic. This is evil." And all of that just gets distorted beyond belief in the Witcher like soldier, the group that he finds that like the girl that he was in love with, who like she actually started that Hydra takes it over from the inside has been for absolutely like, decades. Um, I mean, he's even at, I mean, just like from like the very get go, he's out of time. Like he's whole out of whack. He doesn't understand the world around him and how much things have just dramatically changed. Um, he's got to get caught up with the past like 80 years. And that's tough for him. You know, he does, he's really not even like, if you really do stop and think about it, he's a man who's not used to being home from war. He's not over world war two, you know, and he's all of a sudden in 2014. Right. And that's, I think for him, that is like, that is tough. And he almost kind of has to take a step back or, and I don't think he's, I think what he, where he comes to at the end of this film, this is very interesting is he kind of has to let go a bit of want to do what's right for the world and the country, but do what's right for his friend Bucky that he, all of that, all of his efforts now, all of his energy, all of his time are not about what like shield I want him to do. It's not about the next mission. It's not about trying to fight a war. It's all about Bucky. So he kind of just, like when he stops fighting, when he stops fighting Bucky, I think it's the same thing as when, as, as when Tony Stark stops being Iron Man. They both take a step back to do what they have to do for themselves and the people that they love. Yeah, yeah, and the cool thing about the Winter Soldier is the evolution of the blind soldier that notion of like just following orders soldier mm -hmm. you see this mm -hmm. in the first one where he disobeys tommy lee jones in order to go save save soldiers in austria behind enemy lines that then becomes the kind of the the ideal of captain america is morality always trumps everything else he will always do the good thing right and uh mm -hmm. which you point out saying good while everything else around you is disordered and <clears throat> The interesting thing that they do is this also talks a little bit about PTSD, but not in, oh, I shouldn't say PTSD. It talks about, well, it does, but it does it through the eyes of soldiering, but in the, but now you're in the real world. And it's just what mm -hmm. you were talking about, that disjointedness, mm -hmm. because you get introduced in this movie to the Falcon and his whole, his comment is, um, what's that line? It's your pillow, isn't it? Or it's your yeah. bed. It's too mm -hmm. soft. And he's like, yeah, I feel like, a, you know, marshmallow. He's like, right, you're going to sink right down to the floor. You know, your pillow used to be a rock. All of those things. And it's that notion of how can the soldier adjust to civilian life? Well, he can't. He has to go join S.H.I.E.L.D. And he does all the S.H.I.E.L.D. things. And he's an Avenger. He can't stop the war, which culminates with uh, the Avengers Age of Ultron. Is That is a direct line that Ultron says to him. Um, you can't, uh, the soldier, you, who would you be without your war or something like that, without a war to fight? Yeah. Well, it's tough too, because especially once in the, in his first movie, when Bucky died, what else was he going to do? He, you know, he had no family. He gave his body to science. Um, there was nothing else for him, but the war. 
and he sacrificed himself. He thought he was going to die, and he wakes up, and he gets thrown right into the mix of the Avengers, and then what does he do? He just keeps fighting because that's all that he knows. You know, but what he but what he's been fighting for, he finds out has been just so perverted and having to come to terms with that. Um, do you think like Nick Fury, do you think I think he's trying to show Captain America from the get go what's going on? He's like, Hey, this is messed up. There's something here that is not right. I think he like cause he cause he does say that he suspects Hydra's become Shield or that Shield has become Hydra. So you're you're saying that is is Nick Fury trying to goat or manipulate Captain America into uncovering the rotten parts of shield. I I think so, but I do agree that he is a realist, but I think, I think that like Nick Fury, cause you know, they hint to phase two at during the um Avengers, but I think that cause he even says, but I didn't put much stock in that. I wanted like, I wanted to have you guys. Yeah. yeah I think he, he understands. That, he says that in age of Ultron, like what, what is that line when they're all at uh, Hawkeye's house? And they're like, well, we have no more options. He goes, no, we don't. We have you. Like, yeah, I'm putting it yeah. all on you guys. Like, you don't understand. You you are the thing. Well, so, I mean, I don't know. I think that I think that Nick Fury wanted those aircraft carriers in the sky, the helicarriers. He wanted all of that See, as, as a part of S.H.I.E.L.D., but he knew, obviously he knew there was corruption there because that's why he hired the Frenchman to capture his own ship. Mm-hmm. And so that he could then send in Black Widow to steal data. He knows there's something corrupt going on. He just had no idea it was Robert Redford and all that stuff, which the best line in the movie was, do you know he rejected, he was offered a Nobel Peace Prize and rejected it because, <laughs> or he, and he said, peace mm-hmm. is not something that's, what is it that, that can be achieved? It must be, oh, I can't remember the damn line. Yeah, absolutely. And, but, and, and then he, he just goes, this is why I have trust issues. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. See, I think um, I. So here's my thought: is that he he's of the same mind as, as as like Robert Redford to a point, and his line is the helicarrier. Like you don't cross that line, to him, yeah. which is why he takes. I mean, he tries to take a rocket to an airplane that like has a nuke on his own ship, which would kill everyone on board. Like he will he won't give a second thought about doing that. But I think the helicarriers in the winter soldier that's that's where his line is it's 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 right there yeah hmm so but but i mean i think he understands that mentality nick fury is he doesn't want to subjugate everyone but he's certainly not ashamed to have a bigger stick than everyone around and use it to bash Mm -hmm. some heads in Mm -hmm. even prematurely Mm -hmm. which is what robert redford's thing is he disobeyed direct orders in order to save lives hydra doesn't care about that they don't care about saving innocent lives they want to just rule but they think by imposing their order they're kind of like the empire in star wars right like this whole notion of like order order mm-hmm. right yeah. so yeah. they're all i mean isn't that everything because we're americans we have to have the enemy be someone who trumps order over freedom right like it's like <laughs> yeah it's, there's a mess with freedom it's okay let's be messy and it's like yes but order Order against the chaos of human freedom. <laughs> and right. we always think that they're English. <laughs> because they always are Her Majesty. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, there's I think uh the Captain uh Captain America has the mo has the most layers, both in terms of the plot. I'm sorry, both in both in terms of the themes and the overall the overall uh, narrative of it in the plot. It's very interesting. Yeah. 
It's good stuff, man. Good stuff. Although yeah. there is some stupid stuff. Can we talk about the stupid stuff of Captain America yes. that I didn't like? What's what's the stupid stuff? The stupidest I know stuff it's of drive them. you crazy if 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 we don't. Stupidest stuff of all. That German scientist as a bank of computers hidden in <laughs> I know. Oh, so stupid. So what was his name? Zoloff or is that like a drug? Yeah. Yeah. yeah he's like I am the computer captain and you're like, "Really?" Really? And I am the 80s computer. <laughs> it was like a 60s or 70s. All these tape decks spinning up, and you're like, ah, oh, crap. And then they have we a USB drone. <laughs> Shall we play a game? Um, we, Actually, damn it, Black Widow makes that joke. Dang it! Uh, she says, you want to play some tic-tac-toe? <laughs> um, but, like, then they take the USB drive from the supercomputer from the 70s, which has less computer power than an iPhone, and then they take it in order to figure out what's on it. They go to um, they go to an Apple store and use an Apple laptop. Like, come yeah, right. on, come <laughs> on! Everyone knows Dells have more power. No, like it was such a shameful <laughs> product placement, you know. And then they had the yeah, whole but... like Apple, uh, you know, the what do they call them? Genius. And you're like, oh, God. <laughs> I had the same glasses, twinsies. Oh man! <laughs> Everything having Anything to do with technology about... drove me insane. Anything else about the Winter Soldier? No, that's it. <laughs> All right, <laughs> move. Moving on to Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy. Ah, hooked on a feeling. Bum, 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 bum. I'm hot, man. Great. This is. Let's just get this part out of the way. Phenomenal soundtrack. And the soundtrack does tell a story about Peter Quill and, and everyone else. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of cool if you break it down song by song. But um, So here's what I think the overall theme of this film is how much to find purpose after profound tragedy. All of these characters have been through hell. They've all, like, you know, like, Peter has lost his mom, saw his mom die, didn't hold her hand as she died because he was so scared, then got abducted by aliens as you do. <laughs> yeah. You have the raccoon that was just like, you know, just broken down and just destroyed and built and built back up. Uh, you've got, uh, you have Drax who saw his wife and daughter die. You have Gamora who was stolen from her home and her, she's the last of her race. I believe everyone else was just, was uh, killed. Um, who am I missing? Well, and Nebula, who's a villain in the movie, but you have her. You have Groot, who's yeah. the last of his kind. You have, mm-hmm. so you already said Drax the Destroyer. So Rocket Raccoon, mm-hmm. Drax, Groot, um, Peter Quill, Gamora, they're all losers. They're all losers, which I love that line. I just watched that line. Life yeah, he's like, giving us a chance to give a shit. Yeah. And my wife, so we're watching it with my kids. <laughs> And my wife goes, ugh, language. And then there's another scene where he's like, he said, quote, I'm an a-hole, but I'm not. And again, I'm quoting, a total dick. My wife's like, language. And the whole time I'm thinking, just don't draw any attention to it and the kids won't notice. And sure enough, they didn't. I would have been, I would have been laughing really hard, like, that's hilarious. I know what you he would have been doing. It. You would have been biting your hand, your fist, laughing, trying to keep <laughs> your laughter in. Because the exactly. fact that it was in front of kids is even funnier to you. Mm-hmm. Totally. I'm like, oh, your innocence is being ruined. Um, <laughs> All because of a podcast. <laughs> the show must go on. Them's the rules, kids. No, but 
um, there is a profound uh, part of this film about the need for community and how that's going to really draw out the best in you. I thought that was really cool. Especially at the end when they're all like trying to bear each other's burden. Well, they're all trying to bear Peter, Peter Quill's burden. That's, that was really beautiful. Yeah. And the fact that Peter thought he was going to die by grabbing the stone and he knew that even if he would die, it would just buy them some more time to keep the stone away from Ronan. And so him Mm -hmm. and Ronan both jump out. He grabs it first. Probably because he was all limber from the the dance off, and he grabs mm-hmm. it first, knowing he's going to die. But of course, he doesn't die. But he that's what he thinks he's just going to die. And they all think, okay, well, it's better to die with your friends. Uh, what, what was a great line from Gamora? Um, my whole life, I've been surrounded by enemies. I'd be honored to, to die. die with my friends. Yeah, surrounded by friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah surrounded by friends. Dang, girl, yeah. you have a good yeah. memory. And you, green whore, you are my friend. <laughs> I love. I laughed so hard in the theater during that line. <laughs> it was really like, <laughs> no it's just so like it was just the, it's such i just the film was so funny it's just so fun and so funny um i'm so thrilled that they're gonna be with the avengers i can't wait i cannot wait i don't know what you're talking about i haven't seen any of the trailers because i'm a man of my word <laughs> well it's just a given i mean yeah, no, I've seen the first trailer. All. I watched the first trailer a couple thousand times. <laughs> I think I've seen it single-handedly, put it over a million. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, um, it's it's kind of a basic movie. Like I think you are right. It's a very. It's just more about you know these people. They come. They come together. They overcome the bad thing. Um, we see a lot of Thanos for the first time. Well, not a lot, but more than we have. That's fun. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just a really good fun movie. Boy. So, <laughs> that's what he keeps calling him boy man i find your po- your politics boring it is funny because when he says that like thanos floating on his space chair in the middle of the sanctuary which is his space chair living room in sanctuary space, <laughs> right yeah it's his skanctuary um he he can destroy a world Right, like that's that's you don't know how mm-hmm. he's called the most powerful being in the universe, um, and he can destroy a world. Ronan is afraid of him until he gets an Infinity Stone, right? Um, but you don't mm-hmm. like why? Why doesn't he? And I know the line right is well, if you're gonna do something, you have to do it yourself or whatever. I can't remember which end scene he says that in, um, and then he puts on the gauntlet and walks away. But um, it is interesting how he's setting up proxy wars and proxy battles with Loki and why like here's the funny thing. He sent Loki with the scepter away from him. Mm-hmm. So it's like he gave mm-hmm. away the infinity stone. Why would he do that? He truly doesn't care. And and here's what I mean here's what I mean by that is that he to him having to go and conquer Earth, having to go and destroy other like planets or or other things like that are boring to him yeah so he'd rather leave that to the peons he's he's gonna get the stones one way or another and if he can get these things out of his way well he puts all of his like he's i don't want to give away too much from things that i've heard um but i will say this like the the acquisition of the stones for him is almost a like like religious experience Mm. and so now, of course, you would say, well, like, why would you give them away? Because he knows he's going to get it back. Like, one way or another, he's going to get it back. He doesn't care. 
like okay. he's going to get it back. And so he doesn't want to busy himself. It's like, um, why do certain monks spend all their time like praying as opposed to doing other things? Well, because that's to them the best use of their time. He's going to let other people do those things. He's going to get it back anyways. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like he's just so kind of outside of all of it that like, I mean, he, he like says, you know, your politics bore me. Yeah. Which like, is the line. Like that line yeah. summarizes his attitude towards all this stuff. Like, yeah, you want to, I'll destroy the world for you. I don't care. I don't care. You know, I'll destroy you. Whatever, boy. Yeah, I I think he would rather spend his time contemplating the stones and why he and why he wants them and what he's going to do with them and the whole thought behind the importance of the stones. All his efforts are about, are around that, and so to get rid of his you know to get rid of the people who could prevent him from getting the stones he would almost rather just not be um he doesn't he doesn't want to be bothered with it yeah so like he almost like relishes so like think back to the end of the end of the avengers film when they say to court them as to court death like he smiles he gets like he's like okay yeah like i'm excited about that you know like that kind of like that's but that's intriguing to him, I think. Yeah. It's almost like he wants to play with his food before he's going to eat it. <laughs> that is a great way. That is the perfect summary of it. Thanos is playing with his food before he eats it. Like, that's how he's treating everyone. I mean, when you see the, mm-hmm. uh, the uh, what is it called? The Infinity War trailer. I mean, he just straight up punches Iron Man, suit armor and all, and he's walking in a bro tank, right? <laughs> he's just all mm-hmm. bare-fisted knocks him straight out you know and so mm-hmm. you know that he's just like this is nothing to me this is nothing to me y'all are nothing to me i got this mm. playing with his food before he eats it but that arrogance will be his downfall well you know you know what though if you do also if you look at the comics he's a very contemplative dude well his place is called it's the sanctuary there. yeah i mean so and he's a death worshiper good stuff so that's it i mean his name comes from uh the greek word for death so he's a mm-hmm. death worshiper. That's his whole thing. So what do you think about the music? I mean, not just <laughs> that it's a soundtrack. Like you said, each song tells us something about Peter and our characters. What, what, what does mm-hmm. like, you know, hooked on a feeling, what, what do you feel like that? Cause that's kind of like one of the major th- songs that everyone remembers because it was in the previews, you know, and all that stuff. Mm. I'm trying to remember. I think they use that song when they're going to jail, right? That's when that's he's when songs playing. Yeah. And then he tries to get his thing back. Yeah, um, so this is just just speculation, but, like, my guess is, like, that song is when he starts to, like, kind of join the team. I think he likes being a part of a team. I think Peter Quill likes being around people. He doesn't like being alone, you know, because being alone is, like, reminds him of death. And that's what he kind of has to embrace at the end. And I think at the end of the film is when he realizes he doesn't have to embrace death alone that his friends are going to be with me. Because if, if you really, if you start um, to think about the first, what's the, what's the first like song that we hear in the film? I'm trying to remember how the uh, chorus goes. I'm not like, he basically like isolates. Oh my gosh. Were you about to sing it? Song. Were you about to sing yeah. it? You were totally I, about I remember to sing how it. Oh, goes, baby, though. baby, remember. Yeah. Baby, please sing no, it. Dude. I don't. I don't. I'm, I'm trying to, oh man. <laughs> I don't remember what it is. So is that the one where his, the hotel room with his mom? Oh, the uh, hospital, the hospital room. Room. Yeah. not hotel room. Yeah. And it's it's just, like, one of those fancy like... hotels where the beds go up and down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
Exactly. So, um, yeah, but whatever song that is becomes like his sanctuary, if you will, is is that song. So where he goes to um, hide. Yeah, agreed. I like that. Then what's this? Yeah, what, yeah. When he's on the planet, when he, in the, in the beginning, what's what's that song? Right, and he's walking around. He's what? singing into that rat creature. Yeah, he's is just this, like excited this, to go and like steal a thing. This could, yeah, that's it. He's gonna make some money. He's breaking with his buddies, the Ravengers, um, Guardians of the Galaxy soundtrack. Yeah, I mean, all of this could have been solved with a. Uh, Simple Google search. <laughs> yeah. That's not the Catching Foxes way. We'd rather just sit here and mindlessly speculate. Go, go, go all the way by the raspberries. What? No. that This mm. is just the, that's not the song order. Come on. Oh, here we go. Mm, son of a beasting. What a bunch of hey, The uh, Guardians of the Galaxy um, original score has a song called Everyone's an Idiot. And then the next one's called <laughs> What a Bunch of A-Holes. <laughs> <laughs> what a Bunch of A-Holes. That's awesome. We all got dead people. That was the... <laughs> we all got dead people. We're all losers. That was an intense part. Yeah. And they played it really, like, hardcore, like... Um... Oh, here it is. Uh, damn it, no. Um they uh they played it like like a super serious moment. I mean, they really did. Like that whole scene was oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's and and the weird part is that Rocket cruel as he is being is kind of right. Like everyone has dead people doesn't give you the right to get every to oh, get everyone totally. else killed. Well, Groot's boo, reaction is so who? great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he just covers when his Rocket mouth. Says <gasps> Groot is such a fantastic character. He That's really like, is. He really is. And when we watched the scene where he smashed those people, <laughs> my kids, I was like, kids, keep watching. Keep watching. <laughs> because I just <laughs> wanted them to remember the smile and not the fact that he was, like, pureeing a group of people. But uh, <laughs> such, <laughs> such is the uh, things you do as a father showing violent movies to your children. <laughs> Look, kids, no, don't pay attention to this part. I mean, you can't because it's really awesome and it's my favorite part of the whole movie. But wait for it. Oh, look at that smile. It's all worth it, kids. How could this possibly go wrong? <laughs> and then Cecilia punches right. Kateri in the face. <laughs> they did that yesterday. After watching the first uh, part of it, Noah and Cecilia, my four-year-old and my six-year-old, just started karate chopping each other. And Noah swung and uh, almost nailed her right in the face. She ducked at the last moment. I was like, wait, what? No. Guys, <laughs> violence is for watching and eating popcorn. <laughs> Father of the uh, year. Father, father. I was just about to say that. Father of the year. MVP. Uh, anything else in Guardians of the Galaxy? Uh, can I say my stupid scene that I hate so much because of science? <laughs> you love to say things. <laughs> Why am I so broken, sure. Luke? I don't know. I don't know. How Go dare ahead. you judge me? It's the same thing for The Last Jedi. It'll be the same thing for, for the Winter Soldier. Gamora. Frozen. In space. He floats out there to her, takes off his space face mask. It's not a helmet. It's just a face mask. His hair is exposed. His neck is exposed. Puts it on her. Then he freezes. And yet, they live. Now, I understand a human being can have some uh, oxygen left. You know, maybe. Uh, but, he's half 
he's half human, half celestial. So yeah, but she's and not. She's got no, but she's got a bunch of like other. But she has things as well to help. No, her. I understand. It's, she's super duper. But come on, man. Okay. Her blood would boil. Her skin would freeze. Seconds. All right. And Anything I know, else? I know, I'm contradicting myself because I said the opposite with Princess Leia. <laughs> but come on, man, come on! But I did love that scene. It was very beautiful, very poetic. And then he was laying on top of mm-hmm. her, and then talked about how much of a hero he was. And it was such a funny know, way to so end funny. that scene. It's just something incredibly heroic. Like he's amazed that he that he did that. Yeah, that, how awesome right, is that? Uh, let's move on to the Avengers: Age of Ultron. So. I've got a lot here. Can I just say anything <laughs> up front? Yeah, go for it, man. Really really quick. Okay. No complaining about this film. It's not a very good movie. It's like a C plus at best. Oh, man, I disagree. Okay. But, well, okay, sorry. Let me just back up here. What this movie tries to do and the, the themes that it does, I'm going to tackle, it's freaking fantastic. Yeah. The execution of the plot and just some of it isn't perfect. I think it needs to be longer. To be honest with you, the reality is, is they tried to do too much, and it broke yeah, Joss Whedon's they brain. They tried to do too much. It got it got cumbersome. Uh, they were all over the place because they were trying. That from what I heard, they were trying to set up Phase Three so much that they kind of lost sight of the villainy of Ultron. Like Ultron is, mm-hmm. in in a sense, he's the ultimate bad guy because he's everywhere. Right, you can't pin him down. He's he's software. Mm-hmm. He's in your internet. He's in your coffee pot. He's in your bank account. He's everywhere. I, I'm assuming here you have a connected coffee pot, maybe one from Samsung. But he's he, you know he is a like he's this omnipresent villainous force, and it's almost like they forget about him. Like at parts like it was like there's one part where Maria Hill's walking. They're like uh, Ultron is in the internet. Every corner. Like where isn't he? You know he's in every corner. You're like, what about the nuclear codes? No, somehow he's being kept out. You're like, okay, well, I'll go to Oslo and figure that out. And I think the actors, if it wasn't for them and their phenomenal acting ability and whatnot, they carry, the movie was disproportionately placed, the weight of it on their shoulders, more so than the Mm -hmm. writing. Uh, I thought, or I guess, yeah, the writing. It just felt like they were just trying to do way too much. Yeah, yeah. But what he was going for is phenomenal. Right. I mean, it really, really is. So... We're going to try to tackle this. I mean, we could do a whole three-hour podcast just on the, I mean, really, I truly think this is one of the more interesting films in the MCU. It gets a lot of hate because it's poorly executed in parts and as a whole. But I do think that what, like, makes this film great is what it tries to be. You know, because it, um, you know, like, what's the thing? Like, you aim for the stars and you end up in the, I don't know, whatever. So... The whole crux of this film, I think of really like phase two, is can they stay a team? Can they stay heroes? What can, can they go through so much crap and stay heroes? Can, uh, can Tony Stark just be utterly like broken down? Can, can Captain America... Um, just see everything that like he loves around him, just everything in his life be just be distorted and changed. Can Thor see like his mother die and his family his he thinks his brother died and his family just break apart? Can they go through all that and still be a team? Still and still 
and still be like and still be like heroes. And this is where it's very and so uh I'm gonna I just wanna give credit to where where credit's due. I, I got a lot of this stuff from um a like whole bunch of articles on the internet, but especially one by this Catholic deacon who does follow us on Twitter. I'm gonna try to I'm gonna try to get him on the podcast at some point time. I'm drawing a blank on his name right now, but he wrote a great article for Crux and where he talks about how during the course of this film, all of the like Avengers refer to themselves as monsters at some point in time. Like all of them. I don't I don't know if Thor does, but just about everyone else calls themselves calls themselves like monster at least once. Yeah. And I think what really prevents them from not becoming those monsters is their only humanity and the and the like only humanity of the team and their power as a team. And I think that is like personified during their time on the farm. The farm is what keeps them grounded from just either. I mean, really from despair, to be honest, yeah. but also from going too crazy with their own power as as well. The farm is great as the kind of the the central thing that ties everything together. Like it's almost like literally right in the middle of the whole movie because it is mm-hmm. the opposite of Tony Stark's world. Right, it's not the high tech. It's not Ultron. It's not computers taking over the universe. Yep. It's a simpler time, a slowed down time. It's not about the tech. It's about the people, and that's basically what Nick Fury says. Um, Ultron is spreading faster than a bunch of Catholic rabbits. That was a great line. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, got to give a shout out to the Catholic quote. <laughs> he was thinking of us. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Samuel. <laughs> we appreciate you, buddy. Um, so that notion or that thing, but, but also the farm represents like the type of life that none of them thought they could have, right? Like, mm-hmm. and, and the only way they can have it is because no one in the world knows it exists. Meaning Hawkeye said that Nick Fury kept his marriage and his children quote off the shield books, you know? And so there's this whole thing where uh, Hawkeye has it because he has to 100% hide it even from his closest friends, except, you know, in this national emergency or global emergency. But there's that, that is interesting. So it's like a juxtaposition between the high tech world that Stark had created and the reason why they're fighting these innocent people, right. that are in the real Mm -hmm. world kind of thing. Exactly. 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 And I think it's very, so there's a, there's a very interesting line that, uh, that, Tony Stark gives to well, so okay. So when Tony Stark goes into the barn to fix their tractor, he's confronted there. Well, he's surprised. Not confronted. He's surprised by he's surprised by like Nick Fury there, and he goes, "I don't want to hear about hear about being him creating all like him uh, him." Uh, Tony Stark says, "I don't want to hear about it. It being the creation of all of." Ultron and he goes it's been a like long day it's and he, and he says a a Eugene o, a Eugene O'Neill a long day and if you don't know who that is it's a really quick line Eugene O'Neill is this early um, 20th century play uh, playwright who was known and I believe he had a, a play called like like long day or that was that was in the title of one of his plays and he was known for having to write these plays about these characters who 
up front are very aspirational and hopeful, but by the end give a, give in to delusionment and despair. And I think that's where Tony kind of is. He's he's starting to despair a little bit. It's where the it's where the you know like Avengers are because they just have their worst like they just have their worst like what scares them the most about their own selves they just have to confront due to uh, Scarlet Witch and part of this film is about having to confront the monster within you. Um, Steve lost his home and any chance to really have what he knew to be a like normal a like normal life. Yeah. Um, Hulk is terrified of hulking out and he doesn't want to kill innocent. You have, you know, like Black Widow, any chance of being a mom was like robbed of her and she's robbed of the chance to have any real attachment so she can be a umber ruthless killer. Uh, Stark can't really stop himself in spite of himself at times. And they all want to, they all need, need to learn how to confront their, their like own monsters and not, and not let it consume them and i think that's like steve kind of almost like you see where how, what steve monsters could be it's that he's willing to hurt his friends if he thinks it's the right thing which he does when stark creates like vision like he just starts attacking stark and i th- i think this film is just fascinating well so okay like that. yeah let's talk about that because i i agree with with everything you're saying in the sense of she goes around the uh, Scarlet Witch goes around and taps into their minds in order to unleash their greatest fear. But what she ended up doing first with Tony Stark was not seeing his greatest fear, but seeing his, well, like, seeing the future that he would create, which was all of the Avengers dead, and it blamed on him. You remember that scene? Yeah, but I think that is his worst fear. Okay, but, I, I but think... his whole thing was, Sorry, I'm not just seeing what she put in my head. It was real. It's what I had done. It's the end of the mm-hmm. line kind of thing. And so, mm-hmm. and then, uh, you know, Captain America, you know, so they all see, like, she sees, uh, Black Widow sees her, goes back to her training and the horrible things that she let them do to her. She did, you know, she had done to her. She was the victim of, but there's kind of this notion of, like, she was a willing victim. And that's why that's that monster within her. Thor leading to the destruction of all of his loved ones. You know, all of these things. And then Captain America's is he gets to dance with his wife, the hall or his girlfriend, the hall is empty, the hall is filled with soldiers, mm-hmm. like and then later on he wasn't affected like the rest of them were. And later on they See, say I mean he was affected, like he had something happen, but the um the interesting line, which is kind of what touches on your point, is what point is where he's talking with Tony Stark and Tony says, I don't trust a guy without a dark side. And then he says, let's just say you haven't seen mine yet. And but like mm-hmm. what what is this dark side? Like he's not the one suffering like insane trauma from those visions. His was sure. him dancing and then everyone being gone. I think his trauma is there's no more war. What do I do now? I'm a soldier. That's all I know. And now See, like that's being taken away from him. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think his darks um so I think his dark side is best um is best exemplified when he goes and tries to fight Tony when Tony's creating vision because it shows that if Steve thinks he's right, he won't stop to act. Ah, He won't stop. um, uh, He won't stop because I mean, you are right because that's all that he has. He doesn't have a home. He feels like he doesn't have a home. 
And so he's just going to do what he thinks is right, regardless of if it's actually the right. Because in reality, the right thing was to create vision. Like they were wrong to stop them from doing that. Now, they didn't know. I don't know how you hammer that out. Pun not intended, but kind of awesome. Um, <laughs> but I think it's the fact that he goes in and starts. To, and now it does kind of boil over between it's a result of the, you know, part of their like relationship is the tension that they have. And so it just kind of, it does like boil over there. But, you know, if you want to say, if, if you view that as kind of like part two of this three part arc that ends with this, this civil war, like film, you could argue to a certain extent that the captain America is wrong, that he is noble, but there's there is an argument to be made that like he's dangerously naive as war machine puts it hmm yeah because you can see that um i do want to point out that it was tony that struck first when he tried to stop creating the vision he showed up that's right that's tony shot him and then he nailed him with the shield and then they fought each other one more time because i thought about that i was like "Ooh, who hit first turns out it was greedo greedo shot first (laughs) Just kidding. <laughs> Who knew? Who knew? Who knew? Who knew? But, Greedo's in the background. But, hey, doesn't he come? Doesn't he come at him though? Yeah, well, I mean, he jumps. I mean, he he's very threatening. But Tony is okay. the one who's okay. just like, I'm done. You know, kind of kind of attitude, and then they go at it. Um, but I will say, I love that insight, man, because that's totally true. So he disobeys Tommy Lee Jones in order to do the right thing by going behind enemy lines. Mm-hmm. But there, he's not risking anything other than himself. Mm-hmm. And he's putting his life on the line to free, you know, the U.S. soldiers. And then you have the uh, the next time with Bucky, he's going against Nick Fury in order to save Bucky and and to and to go against Shield, like to shut down well Hydra, the Hydra Shield hybrid, right? In the yeah. Winter Soldier, yeah. here uh, he's going against his own team out of that sense of that same nobility, and I'm going to do right do right and risk the consequences kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And so that's kind of showing the via media of Aristotle, right? It's like the middle way is the right way. Too much, too much courage. You become foolhardy too little courage exactly. and you're a coward. And exactly. so too much of the soldiering for truth and justice in, you know, doing it in one movie makes you fight an unjust system to save your friend doing it in another one you you're you're fighting your friend out of this you fight your friends right like so you're no longer saving your friends you're fighting your friends but how mm-hmm. awesome was that scene on the farm where he rips the wood I in know. half it was so amazing it is so perfectly done and then it ends with him stomping away and tony starts being like or tony starts stomping away going don't touch my pile <laughs> that's my pile yeah <laughs> the, the i love chopped that wood so funny <laughs> and captain america has two huge piles yeah, yeah and, and that um, scene that scene is the the line that you know i i love which is the line that we talked about every time you try to start a stop a war before it starts innocence mm-hmm. always die people die yeah always and whether you tell us is a bit of a question ben and i were doing research that would affect the team that would end the team isn't that the mission isn't that the why we fight so we can end the fight so we get to go home every time someone tries to win a war before it starts innocent people die every time that is that is a very key line because you can look at these because Joss Wheaton also is politically involved and all that stuff. But the notion of the Iraq war, right, was a preemptive strike against Saddam, 
not having nuclear missiles, but acquiring even the capability to in the future make them. You know, one of the things was that was mm-hmm. one of the things, you know, securing yellow cake from Africa and all this stuff. And it's like, so then we launched this massive preemptive war. And what did it get us? But a quagmire in Iraq. And there was some great gains that we did. And we brought a lot of freedom to a lot of people because Saddam Hussein was a terrible person. But at the same time, innocent suffered in a great way that we're only now still. I mean, we're still now seeing it unravel. You see the rise of anti-Christian persecution and all that stuff, which never would have happened under Saddam. So you have this like wave of innocent violence in the real world. And here's the comic book version of that, right? Like now this is some of the things that I want to point out, Luke, in terms of theme. Tony Stark Mm -hmm. constantly talks about ending the need for superheroes, right? Mm -hmm. So what does he say? He says a suit of armor everywhere in the world. And then he's talking with Banner and the whole argument for creating AI, for creating Ultron is so that we can go home. So we don't need this. And then when someone challenges him on it, I think it was Captain America. He's like, you know, a suit of armor all over the world. And then someone says, that sounds like a very cold world. And he says, I've seen colder. And, like, this notion that he wants to end the need for the Avengers. Because the whole idea of the Avengers is we are going to avenge what you've done to Earth or whatever. Like, that was the original term. Like, Mm -hmm. we might not be able to save the world, but you'll be damn sure we'll avenge it. But the idea is, well, now we can prevent it by having a suit of armor everywhere in the world and doing the good deeds and protecting innocent lives. And that's one of the constant themes. So, of course, Captain America has to fight him. Because he can't turn off the soldier. He can't stop fighting the war. And Captain America and, and Iron Man's basically saying, well, I'm going to end this whole reason for us. Like, isn't that the mm-hmm. point? You know, and that's one of the other themes. No, and I think that does. I think that shows that's where Iron Man, that's where Iron Man 3 plays, like, has a part here. Because he, so he, because we learned during phase, we learned during phase, phase three that tony stark comes back to take out hydra that he basically says okay i need to help them out so i'll do the iron man thing again but he definitely he wants out he wants an out he doesn't want to be doing this forever and i think that's like very evident here and steve um oh gosh well yeah i mean you you uh you pretty much like i think they both they both still want what. Like they're both the characters because sorry, what am I trying to say here? They both are where they were at the end of their respective their respective like movies from this from like this like phase. Steve doesn't want to hurt his friends. Steve wants to do the right thing. Tony Stark wants an out. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's um, uh, I could I wish they would have been on the farm for hours. I just love the farm. I think it's so fascinating. Yeah, the way they like look at each other, the way they talk. Why does Thor leave so soon? I think this is really interesting. I think he's so because he's uncomfortable there from the get go. Yeah, I think he stomps on the kids' Legos, kicks it under the <laughs> coffee table. Like just, just, just he just feels awkward and weird. I think he likes being there because he he likes Hawkeye and his family, but he's just he feels like he doesn't fit. And, he, and once he has a chance to go, he's gone. Well, and I also think, you think of Thor as a constant family drama and he doesn't have family anymore. Exactly. I think he doesn't know what to do when he's, when he's around a family that's not trying to kill each other. <laughs> I think he, like he generally doesn't know what to do or how to act. Yeah. yeah. In, a, in an actual home. Yeah. Okay. So kind of sad. It is. It is. Now my big thing is, what do you think of the vision? 
Okay, so in that article by the Deacon guy, he so do you know how Bishop Barron had the article where he said yeah, he that hated it. Yeah, the vision. Yeah, was trying to be God, the Superman. Yeah, yeah, the, the I, techno ubermensch God. Yeah, yeah. So I believe if I read the Deacon right, he makes the argument that that's ultim- That's what Ultron tries to do. Is he tries to become that? Yeah, but with the but with like vision, like he definitely says I am. Yeah, and it's not a question; it's an I am. There's there's a period at the end of that because we have the subtitles up during that during that part, and I think I think that like vision just is. I think it's it definitely meant to have some type of like a biblical element to it. I don't think he's supposed to be a god. I think he's supposed to be some. I think he's kind of godlike in the sense that he's outside of all of this. That he's against because he says he's against Ultron. He like pities Ultron. Like yeah. Ultron kind of has feelings. It's really interesting. Like like Ultron is kind of like brokenhearted at the end when he talks up to Wanda, and he's like, "Why did you turn against me?" And he he's he's incredibly moody. Yeah, he calls him my he, own like, flesh. He's like, "You've turned my own flesh against me." Yeah, yeah, and he feels betrayed and like hurt by them, and ha- kind of has a beautiful moment with um w- w- with Wanda when she rips right out his heart. There. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it feels like and, these. Um, <laughs> it's yeah, it's pretty dark. But if if um I I think Vision is so freaking cool because he says he's against Ultron. He feels bad for Ultron because Ultron feels yeah. such pain and anger, but he's against Ultron because Ultron's against life. And he's on the side of life. Yeah. So he says, I'm not on anyone's like side. Like I think he would turn against them if they started doing bad things. Can I tell you so, wh- what is so funny about this conversation that I just realized? Mm-hmm. We did what Avengers Age of Ultron did. We spent so much time on other things. We haven't even talked about Ultron. I, I my know, big things, and you can't really talk yeah. about the vision without talking about Ultron. So my, my understanding no, of true. the I am statement is he's saying so he has the voice of jarvis so ultron is trying to upload his consciousness into the new body and Mm -hmm. they they take the soul gem and use it so basically ultron wants to wield the soul gem as a weapon but it's a soul gem it has soul it grants you know whatever whatever like life-giving power but it's supremely destructive because in Mm -hmm. the end in comic book world everything is an energy beam that shoots out from your hands or your eyes um but but i remember like reading the infinity war comic and i'm like how do they stop the all-powerful thanos and you turn the page i'm like oh everyone just shoots them with energy beams from their hands and their eyes okay that makes sense um but this notion of the vision he says i'm not ultron i'm not jarvis i am meaning like i like i'm me like i'm not i'm not either of those but i'm not neither of those because he is mm-hmm. a little bit of Jarvis by the voice. He is a little bit of Ultron because of the base personality and uploading and all that stuff. But he's also something new. He's not, he's not tied down by either of those labels. Now, what complicates things is over and over again, Ultron uses Christian themes in his, mm-hmm. un, in his self-understanding. So when he sees the vibranium, he says, and on this rock, I will build my church. Right? And he gets the vibranium. Uh, he sets up camp at an old, like, Orthodox church in the center of town so that everyone could be equally close to God. 
and he is viewing himself as this next phase. He views himself as the next phase of evolution. He views the vision as his personal next phase of evolution. And so, you know, only thing that'll live after he drops the rock, right? He uses no one um, in the story of Noah, no one ever blames God, right? Or whatever that line is. Mm-hmm. Um, that might be a different Samuel L. Jackson movie. But uh, this this whole notion of, like, I'm going to bring about, oh, every few million years, God throws another rock at the earth. Like, there's a lot of Christian or at least uh, New Testament themes that are used. Mm-hmm. So I could totally understand why Bishop Aaron would go that route. I just don't think that was the point. I don't think vision is supposed to be this godlike thing, especially when you look at him in the comic books. He's just another character. Like he's just, yeah. oh, oh, well, your your ability is you can phase through matter. You have a beam thingy that you shoot out from your eye or your forehead. Like, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Like, I get it. You can fly. I mean, I don't think I don't think that like Joss Whedon's trying to make the point that we all um, need God. If anything, he's just he is a humanist. Um, yeah, he's a he's, he's a, a rampant he's a secular atheist. humanist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, he, and that was part of Bishop Barron's thing because it ends the movie ends with this like heroic image of the heroes fighting against Ultron, like this statue, and he's like, that's like this Nietzschean struggle and all this stuff against even you know even against God or whatever you create your your own. Self. Yeah, I see. I think it's more just the idea of they just overcome. They overcame their monsters together both external and internal yeah that's what i think is really kind of getting at and but and and that he's he's making like mythos out of that so yeah it's a story and that's, i mean sorry. yeah well I mean, it's the age of heroes have. too and the age of yeah. heroes yeah. is a pagan age whether you're talking about mm-hmm. the icelandic sagas whether you're talking about mm-hmm. greek epic poetry you know a roman epic poetry the age of heroes is a pre-christian ideal right uh it's an honor and shame culture all that stuff and these are superheroes, right? Mm-hmm. And so here you have Ultron, who's the son of Tony Stark's initiative to save the world. So there's messianic undertones there. And here's the vision, which is Ultron's vision of the future of how you save the world. And so you can understand whether it be messianic undertones kind of yeah, oh, throughout. Sure. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, so I think that's super interesting. Um I remember being in the movies, I thought, really? He just takes a huge chunk of Sarkovia, lifts it up, and then his whole plan is to just <laughs> drop yeah. it. And, but I mean, when, I re- when I re-watched it, you know, I watched it twice. because mm-hmm. I, re- I, I liked that this movie could have been called Age of Extinction, right? Like, that was Ultron's motive, was mm-hmm. to cause mm-hmm. extinction of biological forms of life. And the only thing that can endure is a machine. And that's the world that Tony Stark is kind of creating. He's mm-hmm. creating a world where the only heroes are robots, right? A no, suit of armor everywhere in the world. And he, I mean, he makes an idol out of it. I mean, yeah. the, the film makes no bones about that. He's even got the sticker in the beginning that says Jarvis is my co-pilot. Exactly. Which is hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I really do. Um, I think in a weird way, I've, put this on here and i didn't really go too deep into this thought but i'd be curious to get your take i think though i think that when you have the vision to a certain extent he's the son of all of the avengers he can wield thor's hammer mm-hmm. um captain america is you know if you could say if, if anyone's on the side of life it's going to be yeah captain america um obviously tony stark and bruce and bruce banner create him 
Black Widow, not so much. Uh, Hawkeye, not so much. Well, I they're the normals. A little... They're the normals. <laughs> they're yeah. just the spies. They're the normals. Yeah. I think there's like a little bit of all of the, you know, of the superheroes in him. Well, let me say this to you. Okay. So you just said Captain America's on the side of life. You know, one of the standard superhero tropes of the movies is you never kill the bad guy, right? Mm-hmm. Captain America in his movies kills hundreds of people. Yeah. Hundreds. That's true. Because he's not Batman fighting a, a one-on-one vigilante war. He's a soldier. A soldier absolutely kills. What's that great mm-hmm. line from General Patton? Uh, the point of the army or the point of war is, is not to die for your country. To die for your country, but to have the other guy die for his. To have the other poor bastard die for his. <laughs> yeah. I love that oh, line. Patton. Right, but you think about that. He thought he was the reincarnation of Alexander the Great. Anywho, you think about that, right? So Captain America is on the side of life, sort of. He's on the side of what he thinks is innocent life. Mm-hmm. But he's a soldier. Mm-hmm. He's a killer. And that's one of the comments of Ultron is you're all killers. Like, look at Thor. Thor's not a soldier. Thor's a warrior. His whole mm-hmm. life is defined by noble combat, right? Like, this idea of whether it's one-on-one or against armies, like, that's what he lives for. And Ultron is against the Avengers because they're all killers, right? So there is this notion of the vision is on the side of life, so there's still ambiguity there. Like, but, but that's why Ultron is against you, because you're all killers. Well, all of humanity is killers. So what does it mean, you know, in kind of this... stretched analogy and it's very so okay this is where it gets very interesting so one of the things that i believe like thor talks about is he says the mind stones behind all of this he says it's behind ultron behind the enhanced behind everything that is going on it is the mind stone um then you have the conversation between ultron and the vision where they were like like ultron says they are they are like doomed and and how does like vision respond that he goes yes they are but there's grace in their failings like he sees the good in humanity do they know that thanos is coming Uh huh do they know that that's like the possible like because it's implied with the mid with the mid credit part that you know, he goes, fine, I'll do it myself. And he puts on the gauntlet. Him yeah. and Thanos. Yeah. Do they have some idea that, like, I mean, they might not have to know, like, because, like, even um, Bruce Banner goes, when they, Critic Vision goes, oh, this is the end times. <laughs> yeah. Like, like they're like, do they, I mean, they might not know exactly what the plan is. Yeah. But do they know that the end is near? Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. The Vision is interesting because he can pick up Thor's hammer. Mm-hmm. So what does Which that mean? What does it mean to he, be worthy of the hammer of Thor? Means he's a. Um, it, I, I think it's implied that he's a good man. Well, okay, so it's Captain America, but he can kind of do it. No, oh, it was it was a little bump, and then and then he tried again. More than anyone else, I know, but he tried it again and nothing. Yeah. You know, so like Captain America is better than Thor. Yeah, it's true. So it has but to it, be. It has to be something more than that. But at the same time, the Vision is not a warrior in the same way that Thor is. You know, Thor is old world Scandinavian warrior or Norse warrior. So I don't know. I just find that interesting. But, of course, that was used to prove, you know, how how can we trust you? I guess you can't trust me, but we're going to have to go. You know, and he hands him the hammer and everyone's like, okay, we can trust him. Like that was that was why it was used. Well, are the stones inherently bad? 
No. No, no, no. The stones aren't inherently bad. I think I called yeah. it a soul gem earlier. It's the mind gem, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, because yeah. it's Loki Scepter. Here's something I don't understand. Ultron was an artificial intelligence inside Loki's scepter. Right? See, well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think that's necessarily. I think that the, the scepter cree that. No, no, no. Ultron's created. Like, he doesn't exist before this film. See, I thought there was a pre-existing AI mind that because it was embedded in the scepter, it didn't know it was alive or awake or whatever. And then they took the Ultron initiative Mm -hmm. and shoehorned them together. And that was the whole problem because the whole thing that when they go to the party, Jarvis is trying to upload the Ultron thing into into this because it already is an artificial intelligence, right? The blue thing. Oh, that looks like a brain, but it's not. Yeah, but they say they weren't even because they're like they can't believe that Ultron's there because they weren't. They even say we weren't even close to making a breakthrough. Yeah, so I think it's implied that like something, and I jump starts this. Something gets it going to create Ultron. Yeah, so I thought it was the mind gem in the scepter either creates the mind using the Ultron program or is a mind that bonds with the Ultron program and goes terribly awry. But then they use that same gem to create a new mind of Ultron and Jarvis and a third thing. And the third thing is the mind gem, whatever. But now he's a good guy or on the side of life or whatever. He's the vision. And I still don't know why Tony creates it. I'm still not 100% sure like why. I mean, I get why he's doing it, but I, I don't. I because the movie just, demands it. <laughs> yeah, it just didn't really. I was like, why did you jump so quickly from that to... But, you know, but they do... I mean, at the end of this film, they all do come together. I think one of the overall points of this team, and really if you want to kind of do Phase 2 as a whole, is can they stay a team? Can they stay... Can they can they stay like heroes in the face of all of this pain and loss and de- and de- and destruction? Phase Phase 1. Is about coming together. What's your identity? What is what it? What it? What is your purpose? Phase two is about having to stay the hero, stay as a team in the face of extreme adversity, even your own your yeah. own like shortcomings. You're like your own demons. Yeah. Phase phase two is the punishment. Um, okay, so let's go on to Ant Man. <laughs> I have one line for Ant Man. Okay, and I don't think I agree with your one line. I know. I just wrote it really quick. Okay, go for it. <laughs> I just so I think if there's like one theme of Ant Man, and this I really enjoyed Ant Man. I didn't enjoy it as much the first time around. I enjoyed it a lot more the second time around. I still don't think Paul Rudd is the star that he could be in that film, but um, that is really about it. if you're going to change, you can't have half asset. You got to be all the way in. Oh, that's what because you wrote going all in for change, not half assing it, and I thought you meant going all in for a change like they're finally going to really unleash oh, paul no, rudd's character no no no, no just going and, all in for change sorry I, I didn't really word that very well no I was no trying no to get through this no i think you're okay so if that's your theme for the movie i 100 percent agree if that's your theme for marvel's approach to paul rudd as ant-man i 100 percent disagree paul rudd as ant-man is a thousand times more paul ruddian in captain america civil war he i think yeah. i think how he was in captain america civil war is perfect, and I would prefer that version of him than the Ant-Man version of him, which I felt like 
Paul Rudd is a comedian, and they didn't let they didn't unleash his full like comic actor craziness. Mm-hmm. at all and they kept i felt like they kept pulling it back to make it a little like dramatic at moments more so than it needed to be mm-hmm. and when they had a dramatic moment and he interrupts it when when what's his name uh pim finally comes clean uh, michael douglas's character finally comes clean about you know he's he how his wife died and how she's been missing and all this stuff and he tells mm-hmm. it and he's like this is great walls coming down <laughs> i ruined the moment i'm gonna get out of here like I felt like that was so like kind of close to Paul Rudd's jokey jokey mm-hmm. McDokersonness, but like so fake and like way over the top. It's this is like the technology in the other scenes. I couldn't stand this. Although I do have a technology thing I want to point out, but um, this whole th- that whole like it wasn't until Civil War that e- even though he was just in the the airport fight scene, he was truly funny. He was great. Um. It was yeah. a little weird when he ended by saying, does anyone have any orange slices? Like, I was like, okay, whatever. But uh, that's phase three, and we're not going to talk about that right now. So I do think Marvel held back, and it really wasn't until Thor Ragnarok when you realized you can actually turn this into a comedy, and no one would mind. In fact, they would love you for it. You know, Thor mm-hmm. 1 versus Thor 3, like, Thor is so hysterical, and they held him back. Or not Thor, Chris Hemsworth is so hysterical that they held him back. You know, and when he does Ragnarok, you're like, this is wonderful. This is the Thor I like, mm-hmm. you know. Well, and I, I think this is one of the, like, so going, going back to Ant-Man. Ant-Man, it's, it's kind of tough because, like, one of the things I didn't want to do in here is talk about, like, the technical aspect of of these films. Like, the character, like, like um, the director was really bad, you know, and stuff like that. But it's kind of tough because that's what makes this movie not as enjoyable as it could be. You know, and it's well, still and the same is true about Age of Ultron. They tried to do too much, which is it, it, it confused the themes. Like, who yeah. was Ultron? Was he exactly. trying to be this exactly. godlike character, or is he and, man? And yeah, and you can't talk about the themes without addressing that because it gets too much. Because it's really like this is kind of the whole point of the film. It's just not half-assing change. There you go. He he learns it about halfway through, and then it's just a bunch of cute things that happens. Then he saves really cute daughter's life. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But the couple themes that I liked was the the underlying motivation for why you are a hero is you're not doing it for yourself. You're doing it for them, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's mm-hmm. the line from Michael Douglas like yeah. you need to become the hero your daughter needs you to be. Not the that's true. not not the um dad who can pay child support because he's a thief, but you need to become the hero that your daughter needs you to be. And we're not doing this. We're not being the hero for ourselves. Like we're going to get arrested. We're like, everything we're doing is horribly illegal, but we have to do it because it's the right thing to do because mm-hmm. the future cannot have an army of one inch tall superheroes, right? Like super, yeah. super yeah. soldiers, right? Like, and isn't it funny how almost all this stuff revolves around super soldiers? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you can definitely tell when, um, when Marvel got their start, the comics. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, yeah, but I, uh, Ant-Man. No, anything else? Yeah. I have to say it, Luke. The the annoying paper cut that annoys me so much about this movie. Can I tell you what it is? Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you know what the PIM particle is? Uh, refresh my memory. The PIM particle is the, is the formula that allows him to shrink. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's like he found this particle and he turns it into a formula 
to allow him to control the space between atoms, right? Mm-hmm. So it's all about density. Don't don't you dare yawn on me yet. <laughs> but this is what doesn't make sense. It shrinks the space between atoms. So how does he go subatomic, Luke? If it's just the space between atoms, how does he get in between electrons and quarks? How does that happen? That doesn't make any damn sense. And also, just to let you know, if he really did shrink to the size of like a like a like a pin or a paperclip, right? He would be the most powerful Marvel hero. He's more powerful than Thor and Hulk. Because when you have all of that in that compact form, every step he takes would be like a cannon going off. But the movie. <laughs> yeah. Kieran, we move on to my favorite part. Yes, we can. Infinity War themes. What are the broad themes and plot points building up to Infinity War? Obviously, the overall like themes here, and I think this is really cool, and I think I know where it's going, and it, ter- and it terrifies me. Um, so phase one, I think we kind of talked about before, was about what's your what's your purpose, what's your identity, both as an as an individual and as and as a team. Phase two, I think, is about so how do you how do you stay a hero in the face of extreme adversity and how do you stay as a team in the face of extreme adversity and like what does all of that look like and i think phase three is going to complete that and it makes me worried do you see okay so this is this is like batman three right this is like the dark knight rises Mm -hmm. where Mm -hmm. we punish the hero to such an extent you punish him beyond the breaking point you break them right so if Age of Ultron and the Scarlet Witch's fear-induced, you know, whatever, hallucinations began to break up the team, Infinity War has to break them, mm-hmm. right? It has to go, what's on the other side of brokenness? So I think that's one of the 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 next... Obviously, it's a heroic theme, you know, you sacrifice... People have to die in this one. And in the midst of them Damn. dying, new heroes have to arise, so I think essentially what's going to happen is you're going to have a prominent role of someone like Spider-Man and you're going to decrease someone like Captain America. Not because I've read anything. I have not read anything. I don't know spoilers. but And, and I'm not referencing comic books here because comic books are completely different than the movies right now. Mm-hmm. But um, this notion of like the young supplanting the old, the new heroes who understand the world, you know, kind of growing up in it, someone like... You know, if Captain America dies and Bucky takes his place, you know, things like that, people have to die. But there there has to be some, the balance between continuity and the breaking point. Yeah. No, and I totally agree. I, I think that's what they're building. I mean, I could be wrong, but it it does make it, it does make sense. You know, you, you either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. So... Man, you love that line. It's the second time in this in this uh, beautiful Catching Foxes ruins the movies that you've quoted that. I love. That. I, I I thought about that line so much recently. I think it's true within the Christian life. With it's it, it's fascinating. Um, <laughs> Jesus, why do you give us eternal life? We get to see ourselves become the villain. Then, <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it's not. <laughs> shut up. Um, yes, sir. What you, so, what do you think Thanos has done up to this point? Like, just take the big like narrative viewpoint of all of this like what do you think what do you think is going on here if anything at all i think thanos sees earth's new heroes as a potential threat so he's using a proxy battle 
to knock them out. And mm-hmm. the fact that all of his proxies have failed means he has to knock them out personally in order to yeah. ascend to the Affinity Wars or the Infinity Stones. And the interesting thing is how it all revolves around Earth. What was the first line in the first Avengers movie where he talks about um, that it's the, the, the henchman that works for Thanos and he's on that rock, oh, you know? He, he, he says, like, he pretty much says it's not, the inconse- it's not the inconsequential planet we thought it was or something like that. Well, no, at the very, at the the very beginning he says, like, like, Earth has to burn or the heroes have to burn. Oh, and, like, what can they do but burn? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's interesting. Like, that's... That's what Thanos wants to have happen, but it hasn't happened. It keeps failing. Every proxy battle, every mm-hmm. world-ending event, somehow they outsmart it. They outdo it. They outmaneuver. They outfight. They outlast. They outteam, you know, every single thing thrown at them. Mm-hmm. So now it's just time to go and take care of business. Yeah. Take care my of business himself. Yeah, like my guess is like, so one thing I thought was very interesting is Thor in Age of Ultron brings up that the mind stone i think he's referring to was the fourth stone was the fourth one to reveal itself in the last couple of years and he goes this isn't a coincidence yeah which tells me that he's aware of the guardians of the galaxy that he's at least aware of like what happened that the power stone came up because that's the four that's because because that's one of the stones right yeah so the ether which is in Thor the Dark World. So he might be referencing that, the Tesseract. The Red Stone, the the Tesseract, the Space Stone. You have the Mind Stone, and then then you have the Purple Stone, which is the Power Stone. Mm. And he says how there are the most powerful things in the world, in the universe, and bring them all together. He says there's like a bigger game going on. Yeah. So there's... I I think the bigger game is just... I, I, I think that... You're right. I mean, it's and, and pretty Th- obvious. And Thor is the hinge because he's the one that's both spaceman and Earth hero. And mm-hmm. so he's the hinge, and that's why in the preview for Infinity War, Thor is the one that meets the Guardians of the Galaxy and unites the kind of space-based Avengers with the Earth-based Avengers. So that's what ties it up into this, you know, galactic save-the-universe kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I'm so pumped, man. There we go. Oh, man. Sorry, I had a huge yawn right there. It is midnight. It is 1 o'clock where you are, Luke. It is. The things we do for our people. I know. I'm taking taking some comp time tomorrow morning to do the old Texas. Yeah, shit. I'm just filing an extension and doing it some other time. Thought about doing that as well, but don't tell my wife. Do you do your taxes by yourself? Yes, because they're relatively easy. Oh, okay. Well, never mind. Especially now. (laughs) <laughs> but it could be harder because of the patreon stuff but who knows oh shit i gotta pay you for this month i just got it like three days ago shit thank you for telling me oh shit so at least you'll have money for that uh, uh how, do, how do you like so overall like phase two better than phase one uh no uh 